Thank you, Lord. Lord, you have called us. We're told in your word, we see our calling. Not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But Lord, you've chosen us, the foolish things of the world, to put to shame the wise. You've chosen us, Lord, the weak things, to put of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And Lord, you've chosen us, the base things, the lowest of the low. Lord, there was nothing in us that deserved you to call us. But you called us, Lord, in our poverty, in our nothingness. You called us, Lord, In the things that are despised, you've chosen us, Lord. The things which are not, Lord, to bring to nothing the things that are. Lord, that no flesh would glory in your presence, Lord, because you deserve all the glory, Lord. It's all because of you. It's all because of your heart of mercy, Lord. That's why we worship you, Lord. That's why we offer ourselves to you, Lord. That's why we fall at your feet and bow down to you. And say, holy, holy is the Lord. Glory to his name. Thank you, Lamb of God. Thank you for your blood. We worship you. We give you glory and honor that is due your name, Lord. And Lord, it's because of your mercy we are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it is written, Lord, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, Lord. And we do. I do this morning, Lord. My glory is in you, Lord. I thank you for the message of the cross. It's foolishness to the world. But Lord, to us, who are being saved, it's the power of God. And I thank you this morning, Lord. And I come in weakness like Paul this morning, in fear and trembling, Lord. I don't come with the wisdom of this world. I don't come with persuasive words, Lord. I'm coming, Lord, in demonstration of your power and the Holy Spirit, Lord, so that men would be drawn to you, not man, not a place, but to you, Lord, because you alone deserve the glory. You alone deserve to be honored and lifted up, that all men would be drawn to you. And that's my heart this morning, Lord. Be glorified. Let your glory come down, Lord. In our midst and in your people, I pray, Lord. We need your glory, Lord, to fill your people. We need your glory, God, to fill your people, that you may truly be glorified in the earth, O oh Lord. So we thank you, God, and we ask you to speak to us this morning through your word. Open our hearts, Lord, to understand and hear what the Spirit is saying to us.
Stir us, Lord. Move us to be about your business, Lord, to be mindful of the things that you're mindful of, Lord, to be aware and alert and sober of the times we're living in. Quicken us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I pray. And I thank you. That's your desire. That's your will, Lord. You want to do it. So let your will be done in us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. The title of my message this morning is When God's Glory is Revealed. When God's glory is revealed, that's really what we've been praying for. When you pray for revival, you're praying, God, reveal your glory. God, send your glory. Fill your people with your glory. Reveal yourself, Lord, as you really are. And that's God's desire. That's God's heart. That's why he sent Jesus into the world, so that he might be glorified. That we might know and see who he is. And in the book of Ezekiel, which we're going to be in this morning, in chapter 36, God made a glorious promise. And it's all pointing to the message of the cross, to what God did through Christ when he died on a cross for all mankind. So I'll be reading uh, from verse 21 in Ezekiel 36. Lord, open up your word to us, I pray, this morning. Just a little background before I read this. Um, God had raised up this prophet to speak to his people, and he took them through various things, and one of them was... Uh, I believe it was in chapter 8, it says the Lord lifted him up in the spirit. He basically gave him eyes to see what was going on with the people, how far they had gone away from God and how they were worshiping idols and all kinds of things that were going on, in the, even in the temple of God. And sometimes he does that for me in my own life, but as a pastor for the church, but even broader than that, just looking out at Christendom and understanding God's standard, understanding what the gospel truly does and can do, but yet seeing a lot of times not what God had designed the gospel to do. And that's basically what's going on. God had called the people to be a light, to be a testimony to all the nations around them. But they had basically become just like them. They had acclimated themselves to the heathen nations around them. They did not separate themselves the way God wanted to separate themselves unto himself. They didn't let God reveal himself the way he wanted to. They allowed the other nations to influence them, and we see it happen over and over again, and God has to step in and bring revival, bring his people back, 
He has to allow things to come into their lives. Judgment, other nations coming in, war, famine. Because it's God's heart for his people. He doesn't, he's, he's a jealous God. He has a, a desire to fellowship, to be one with his people. That's why he created mankind, to walk with him. We were singing that song, you know, and we, we express in that song, like, this is what we want, you know, to walk with him, to be led by him. No, that's what he wants, more than we want it. He wants us to walk with him. He wants to be led. He wants us to be fulfilled in him. We were created for him. But as we see, man goes after other things. So God, in his mercy, steps in. And that's really what happened at Calvary. It really had nothing to do with us. And we're going to see that. It was all because of his name and because of who he is. That's why we have nothing to glory in. It's all his mercy that we're still here breathing, that he revealed himself to us and called us. And so that's what's going on here. They had basically gotten away from God. But listen to what God says in verse 21. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I don't do this for your sake. O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. The nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out from all the countries. I will bring you back into your land. Now, this was partially fulfilled when they came back from their captivity, but Trust me, um, this is speaking way out in the future, and actually it's begun already. Israel returning to the land in the early uh, 19, uh, 20th century was this being fulfilled. Israel becoming a nation in 1948 was this being fulfilled, and they're still yet to be fulfilled. God is going to come to his people. We read about it in the book of Revelation. So this is speaking not just of what he's going to do then, but what he's looking forward. And it's really speaking of the gospel. Because listen to what he says. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take a heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit 
within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be my God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees, the increase of your fields, so that you never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord. Let it be known to you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, on that day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a, like a flock offered as a holy sacrifice, like the, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days, show, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. A great harvest of souls. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's so much in there, and I'm not going to get into all of it. I really want to focus on one aspect in here, and it's really the promise of the new covenant and the gospel. Because that's really what this is talking about. And one day, Israel is going to come into the fullness of that. We read about it in Romans. They're going to be grafted back in. It's coming. And if their curse was a blessing to the world, Romans says, how much more their blessing. There's going to be a great repentance in Israel. Praise the Lord. That's why we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why God's people should love the Jews and be praying for them. They're there in the land. The bones are there. The flesh is there. God's just waiting to breathe his spirit, and we should be praying for that. All right, I don't want to get off, get off on that. Um, I really want to relate this to us because this scripture came to me so many different ways this week, and the sense I got was God was reassuring me, confirming, Jeff, I want to do this, and I will do this for the church today. Because it, it can get a little overwhelming. We hear things at the counseling center. We run into so many things. I hear like what Christians are into, and sometimes you can kind of get like, man, is there any hope? Are there any real Christians out there when, when you read Scripture and measure like what the gospel should produce? Because that's what that's describing. That's what happens when the gospel really 
the message of the cross, the power of the God impacts someone's life. They are a totally different person. They're called out. They're made new. They're given a new heart. Everything in their life changes. They don't look like the world. They don't sound like the world. They don't go after the things of the world. They're called out. Their, their whole desire in life is to glorify God with their lives. That's what he's called us to be, the church and his people. But just like Israel, a lot of times we don't glorify him the way we should because he's not glorified in us the way he needs to be. That's why I'm praying that God's glory would be revealed in us. That's what we're praying for. And, and we'll look at what that really means. But, you know, God steps in. So, like, even the Lord laying it on my heart to have these special meetings, that's not me. And God impressing it upon Christians all over the world to be praying right now because we know something's wrong. We know we're in trouble. We know there's impending judgment. We know we need something greater for God. That's not us. That's the Holy Spirit impressing upon people's hearts that are still have some kind of sensitivity to them. I don't know how he gets through to me sometimes, but I'm thankful it doesn't depend on me. But we have to respond. There have to be those. He's looking. Where are they? Where are the ones that will stand together? Where are the ones that will share my burden, that will pray and believe me for this? And that's what we've been doing. Because we know something's wrong. In many ways, the church has lost her way in her calling to be light and salt in the earth. We've watered down the gospel. We've changed it. We've made it something it's not. The gospel is not only the most important message in all history. It's the only essential message in all history. It's the only hope for mankind. Yet today, most professing Christians are given a diluted gospel that doesn't produce what God desires to produce. And the best example of that I heard was an article I read one time about a lady. Her name was Georgia Hayes, so it really happened, who won a $2.2 billion court settlement against her pharmacist who she found out later was watering down her cancer treatment drugs. And by the time she found out, it was too late. I mean, just think about that. Her chemotherapy drugs, he watered them down. In the process, she lost her best chance of recovery. How much worse if we water down the gospel and we remove any person's hope of recovery from what we heard last week to be lost for all of eternity from God, to be cast into hell, to be destroyed and separated from God forever. What could be more tragic than that? That's why it, it affects me the way it does. That's real to me. There's so much at stake here. There's been a mass distributing 
of a watered-down gospel. The medicine in so many churches is so diluted, it doesn't transform lives the way it should. When you water down the gospel, you make it just about a decision or a slight altercation. You do violence. You do dishonor to the realities that surround the message of the cross. You bring what God did, which to me was the most tremendous expression of his glory, the cross, God dying on a cross, the holiness of God displayed, his wrath on sin, that he's a God, he's holy, he can't dwell with sin, and we see it as his wrath is poured out on Jesus. But yet, in that same wrath, we see his mercy. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In his wrath, in his holiness, he remembers mercy. And for his namesake, he sent his son Jesus. I think sometimes we make it a little too much about us. It's really about him. It's about his honor. It's about his glory. In heaven, I don't think anyone is making it about them. And we get little glimpses of that. It's all about him. So if it's not all about him now for you, you're not going to like heaven very much. It's all about him. Now, I have a, a paper. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 tells us to, he's telling the Corinthians, but it speaks to us. He says, examine yourselves, whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you? Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified. In other words, examine your faith. Examine what has been revealed to you in the message of the cross. Examine its impact on your life. And there's a paper I give sometimes in our counseling office, and I do it because I'm in the reality that most Christians that come to us for counseling don't know the Lord. I, I hate to say it, but it's just true. And you see it by the evidence in their life and the lack of understanding and the deadness in their spirits. But there's a thing I give out, and uh, I'm going to make this available to anyone that wants it. Uh, I'm not going to print it, but I'll email it in a file. And, and it's basically called uh, Examining Yourselves. And I don't even know who did it, um, but it's, you go through it, and it's just all Scripture, and it just lays out what it means to be a Christian. In other words, there should be a distinguishing or distinguishing marks of a Christian, and we see it all over Scripture. So when Paul's saying, test yourselves, he's saying, prove the metal. When we used to travel, I remember a show I'd watch sometimes. It's called Forged in the Fire. And they, it was, uh, what do you call that? Uh, a blacksmith. They'd make swords and stuff like that. And they'd finish them and they'd display them before the guys and they'd say, looks good, but does it cut? Will it stay sharp? 
Will it bend? Will it break? In other words, looks good, but what's it going to do under pressure? And that's kind of what Paul is saying. Jesus said, when you begin to say, we ate, we drank in your presence, you tore in our streets, he says, I'm going to tell you, I don't know you where you're from. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. In other words, it's not enough to eat, drink, be in his presence. We should be changed by his presence. We should be changed by his presence. There should be distinguishing marks. So I'm just going to read a couple of things out of here. I'm not going to, it's just way too long. But if you want to know you're a Christian, compare your life with the standard Christ presents on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we just went through that, and I did that for a reason, knowing we were preparing for these meetings, to help us say, okay, here's the standard. Jesus gave us the standard, and that's just one place in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a good place to start. Compare yourself to his standard. One word summarizes his standard, righteousness. Righteousness. Someone once told me about a woman who said she was a Christian but was living with a man who was not her husband. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says that those characterized by sexual immorality, fornicators, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That woman was living in a state of unrighteousness. Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow holiness which out, which, with which out no man shall see the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows them that are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Titus 1.16 says, these people profess they know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Some people believe you can come to Jesus Christ without a consequent change in lifestyle. But God expects transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 1 John 2.3 says, By this we, we, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. First, in John 14.15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 2.9 says, He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. 1 John 3.9, Whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So the Bible makes it clear. Those that are genuinely saved are righteous and holy. They still sin, but with decreasing frequency. A true believer hates sin. He grieves when he sins, and he repents immediately and changes course. That's the difference. There's a distinct testimony with someone that's truly saved. There's an obedient life. There's sincere worship. There's a love for others. And it goes on and on and on, this paper, and I just would encourage you to read it for yourself, but then also allow it to let God lift you up and see there's something horribly wrong in the church today, and we need revival. We need to get back to the gospel, an undiluted, 
gospel that does what God promises it will do. That's really what we're believing God for. That's what happened to me. I had a deluded gospel for years. But when I finally, that glory, the reality of that was revealed in my heart, it changed everything. It's just what happens when you encounter God in that way. So this is what God has been speaking to me all week. I'm going to be glorified in my people. I'm going to do this. So we need to believe God for this. He's going to do this. This is what he wants. It's for his namesake. He's going to have a people on this earth that are representing him correctly, that are, that are proclaiming the real gospel that's going to change and set people free and break bondages and open blind eyes. What we heard this morning from the girls, that's what the gospel does. So this is how we need to be praying or why we need to be praying in faith because it's his will and it's his plan. So I'm going to just go through these verses, not all of them. I'm going to start in verse 23 where he says, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God. When I am hallowed, same word, sanctified. It's the same root word when he says, I'll sanctify my name. I will be sanctified in you before their eyes when God's glory is revealed in us. That's what's going to happen. And again, it's all points to the message of the cross, to the gospel. That's what this is talking about. It's what the gospel does when it's given in full strength. This is what uh, is going to be described here by Ezekiel in this glorious promise from God. My name will be sanctified in you before their eyes, glorified in you. That's what happens when God's glory comes down. That's what happened when Jesus came to earth and he died on a cross for sinners. God's glory came down. What was Jesus' prayer in John 17, right before he was going to go to the cross? Father, glorify your son that I may also glorify you. Well, what was he talking about? He was talking about revealing the nature of God. That's what Jesus did. And like I said earlier, um, how much more revealing than we see God on the cross. Jesus receiving the wrath of God. Showing the world he's a holy God. He cannot dwell with sin. There, there's a penalty, but yet takes the wrath on himself. Just read Isaiah 53. But yet in that moment, in wrath, he remembers mercy. And it's God's heart wide open to the world. God being glorified in the suffering of Jesus Christ. My name will be sanctified. God's glory, many times we see, is revealed by his names. When Moses asked the Lord in Exodus 33, Lord, please show me your glory. 
Show me your glory. Now, I, I want to remind us, this is after the first time God revealed him to himself and God showed him as I am. And remember, he, he saw a burning bush and he gets close. And what does God say to him? Take your sandals off. You're on holy ground. What happens when Nahab and Abihu burn the wrong kind of incense? Fire comes out and burns them. And, and what does God say? Because Aaron's a little upset. He just lost two sons. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. We have lost that in the church. We sin. We, we live in rebellion against the word of God. And we forget he's holy. We, I think we need a little more Ananias and Sapphira things going on. In the church, I hate to say that, um, but you know, God was showing the early church that it's also a fearful thing to be in the presence of God, and He can't dwell with sin. He doesn't dwell with sin. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for the cross and for Jesus, our covering. Praise the Lord. You see how much more that glorifies Him. That's where, why Jesus said he who's forgiven much loves much. Because when you understand that, it affects you in a way that you love much. You love him much, and you love other people much. And your whole life changes. But when you leave that out, you have weak conversions or false conversions because there's no understanding of sin and the holiness of God. It's so important. But Moses says... Show me your glory. And the Lord says, I'm going to make my goodness pass through, and I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord. I will be gracious to who I'm gracious. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So God's glory revealed in his names. I mean, there's glory in creation. We see that in Romans chapter 1. The greatness, the order, the beauty the life of the universe, all praise God's glory, right? We see it in God's government, how he rules all things, right? All speaks of God's glory and who he is, his nature. But we know of no glory, like I said, like we see in the work of the cross. That's why the message of the cross, the gospel, it's so powerful. We, we dumb it down and we really make it something it's not. And it really dishonors the Lord and what he did there for us. And it really does need to be held up in esteem and honor. And our lives should be lived in a way that does that, that honors it. The best song of heavenly praise that speaks to that, we see in Revelation chapter 5, where it says they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And it says every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. See, that's where true praise comes from, not singing a song on a screen. It's the reality of what has happened. And what God has done for me. And then they fell, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and they worshiped him who lives forever. Hallelujah. Just want to break into praise. That's what happens when someone encounters the message of the cross. There's a new song in their heart. The glory of God changes them. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, When someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed from glory to glory. As we look upon him, as he reveals himself to us, as his glory is revealed in us, we're changed. We become more and more and more like him. This is normal Christianity. This is what happens normally when someone experiences the power of the message of the cross. It's a natural outworking. When God's glory is revealed in his people, this is what happens. Verse 24. I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your land. In other words, he separates us unto himself. He calls us out. He's calling us out. I mean, we're, we're already called out, but he's calling us out more. You know what I mean when I say that, right? A lot of us still are in a little too much with the world. We're called out. That means out, not out and in and out and in and out and in. It means out. First Peter 2, 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now you are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners, pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war in the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We're not of this world anymore. We're part of another kingdom. We're citizens of a different place. We're to live here like pilgrims, like we're just passing through, like all the heroes of faith did in Hebrews 11. His grace doesn't teach us 
to live like the rest of the world and just to go to church and make some slight alterations. No. Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority, Timothy. Sorry, Titus. Let no one despise you. That's what's needed today. A lot of the problems in the church are because pastors, preachers, evangelists, whatever you want to call them, they're not preaching that. They're preaching a mushy grace that just winks at sin, that makes light of it, that makes the blood of Christ a common thing, makes people think that they could just go on living the way they're living without repentance, without turning away from idolatry and sin and things of this world and the lust of this world. They can go on speaking the way they always spoke. Blessing and cursing can't come out of the same mouth, or shouldn't. This tremendous grace that appears to us through the message of the cross teaches us that our lives are called out lives. They're set apart to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be a witness of God's power and glory in the earth, to reveal him to the lost so they know there's a God in heaven that can save them, that can set them free, that can put a living hope in them that we also possess. And when, we, when he calls us out, he, verse 25, sprinkles clean water on us. And he says, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take your heart of stone out of your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my commandments to do them. There's no excuse for us to be held by the things we were held in our past lives. God has given us the power. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything. That's the promise here. And he's talking here. This is the new covenant. It's what Jeremiah talked about. It's what Hebrews 10 talks about when it's quoting Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'm going to put my law in their hearts and in their minds. I'm going to write them. Then he adds, their sins, their lawless deeds, I'm going to remember them no more. And in Jeremiah, he says, um, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no one's going to say or uh, teach their neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. No, they're going to know me. From the least to the greatest, says the Lord, because I'm going to forgive their iniquity and their sin I'm going to remember no more. In other words, my glory is going to be revealed in them. 
I'm going to open up their understanding. My spirit's going to come in them and reveal the deep things of God, reveal who I am and my nature, my will. Therefore, going on now in Hebrews, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated us for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. Now, when he says, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and your idols, that's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's what God does. And I'll get into that in a minute. Verse 28. Then you will dwell in the land which I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. I will deliver you. Here it is. From all your uncleanness. And when you study this and you get into the true meaning of what he's saying here, he's saying, I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to keep delivering you. It's what Paul talks about in Romans when he says, sin shall no more have dominion over you. I will break the power of sin over your life so that it doesn't control you anymore. So you're not a slave to sin. And he does it by the power of the Holy Spirit as we yield to the Spirit. I will deliver you from your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of your trees, the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. You will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. How many times does he say this? Not for your sake I do this says the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed. Be confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. So we see here in verses 28 through 31 uh, the results that follow in Israel's experience when God gathers, cleanses, and renews them. You will be my people and you will be my God. Permanent occupation of the land and relationship with God as his people. Now, we see this ultimately in heaven in the book of Revelation, right? I will be their God. They will be my people. I will dwell with them. But we're promised that now. We're in the kingdom of God now. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you to the ends of the world. We are now citizens of his kingdom. So we need to dwell in the land. We, we're supposed to dwell in the land permanently. The land now and the land to come. This is just a foretaste. And he will dwell with us. Then in verse 29, again, that projection against future lapsing into idolatry and immorality. I will cleanse your unrighteousness. God is able to keep you from stumbling. That's his promise. 
I think many times we excuse ourselves way too much when God has made a promise to us that no temptation is overtaking you such as common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted what you are able, but with the temptation will give you a way of escape. And he said that right after an example, like don't follow after the example of the children of Israel who kept going after idols. And he's saying to us, listen, no temptation. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what idol it is, whatever is trying to lure you. I've made a way out for you. I've made a way escape. I've given you power to stand up under it. That's what the grace of God is for. He's keeping power. Then verse 30, we see that abundant supply, that increase he's promising. That's all things pertaining to life and God. It's in verse 31, a deepening sense of self-humiliation on account of and repentance for our sins. In other words, we constantly live in the reality, I don't deserve this. I didn't deserve this but he had mercy on me. I deserved wrath, but he had mercy on me. It's living at the foot of the cross the rest of your life. You know that song at the cross where I first saw the light? No, it's living in that light, never forgetting. That's what the first love is. And we, we, we get up away from that because we get religious. We start focusing on ourselves. We think because we do this and we do that, somehow now we've bettered ourselves. But no, we only are what we are because of him. No flesh can glory in his presence. And, and so you live in the reality of that, and that's what fuels your love for him. The reality that I think my wife shared the other day of that peasant girl in the Song of Solomon, like, who am I? I'm just some dirty little peasant. But yet the king's brought me into his chambers. I don't deserve this. He wants me, a little dirty peasant girl, the king? Yeah, and I love the Song of Solomon. It's the picture of, really? You sure you got the right guy, Lord? Do you know what I'm like? You know the things I've done? I know what I deserved, but he had mercy on me. And I want to glorify that. I want to glorify what he did for me. I want to tell other people about it. That's what I live for now. And when I see him, I'm just going to worship him forever because of it. Not for your sake I do this, says the Lord, but let it be known to you, be ashamed, confounded. Let no flesh glory. And then lastly, verse 33, thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. This restoration, it's restoration. He's a God of restoration, people. The desolate land will be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. And they will say, this land was desolate. It's become like the Garden of Eden. 
and the wasted, the desolate, the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabit. Then the nations which are left all around will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. God's going to have a glorious church in the off, in the earth. You're going to be part of it? Do you want to be part of it? He's called you to be a part of it. He's called me. He wants his glory to be revealed. He wants to come to his people. When God restores his church, his people, then the surrounding people will know that he's God. Then they'll know. Then they'll know. Jesus said, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. Will that be our testimony? Lord, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished what you told me to do. I went. Because Jesus says, when he was praying in John 17, as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I don't pray for these alone, but all those who believe in me through their word, the message of the cross, all of us that have heard it, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given it to them. That's the Holy Spirit. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me. And have loved them as you have loved me. So it starts with us. And then when we're restored and revived, then we can invite others. I know this is happening already. I've been, just so you know, I've been very encouraged by what I've been seeing, how God's working in your lives. Very encouraged. What a blessing you all are. Keep responding to him. Keep saying yes to him. Keep crying out to him. He's doing it. He's working. That's all I want to say to you. But, you know, in Hezekiah's day, they had a revival, and they weren't, like, done yet. They were in the process. That's how I feel right now. But in the midst of that, it says, he's like, I want others to be part of what's going on here. This is awesome. God's glory is being revealed. And so what does he do? He sent runners out. And invited whoever wanted to come in. So I want to encourage you to do that this week. Go out of this place and be a mouthpiece for God. Go out of this place and be the feet that run with the gospel, with the good news, with the message of the cross. And invite others so that they can have 
God's glory revealed in them and find the freedom you have found and the glory you have found in Christ. Everything we're doing here is about him being glorified. You understand that, right? It's not about putting us on the map. This is about God being glorified and people being drawn to him and filled with his glory. So I just want to close with this. Um, I didn't feel led like I was going to have an altar call, and I still don't feel led in that way. I want you to just take what was spoken today, and first and foremost, let it speak to you. But then also, by faith, choose to believe what God has spoken for yourself and for other people, and then pray. Pray, 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 intercede, just like we saw these girls doing. I, I really felt it was wonderful. Like, that's it. That's what we're believing God for. I, it was like God speaking to us through that. So I want to encourage you to do that. Also, um, as a body, I am asking us to fast this week. Someone reminded me of that. It's been on my heart to do that. Um, I was thinking Wednesday, kind of making that a day, but I, I also thought it would be good throughout the week. I know we all have different schedules. Pick a meal or a day, whatever, and just fast and devote that time um, for prayer, okay? Um, Fasting increases our faith. It doesn't twist God's arm, okay? We don't need to twist his arm. He needs to help our faith. When Jesus said this kind only comes out through fasting and prayer, it was because they, they didn't have the faith for it. They needed God's glory revealed. They needed to be reminded of who God was. Fasting, when we deny ourselves and we draw near to God, it opens us up more so God can build faith to believe him. So I want to encourage you to do that, okay? I'll put it in the church email. And Saturday, the church will be open for prayer. Um, we'll figure out if someone can be here in intervals or whatever. But I want this to be a house of prayer on Saturday um, while we're in the midst of the meetings, okay? And let's believe God's glory to come down and be revealed. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you for these promises. I thank you. This has already occurred for us. Um, we just don't apprehend it or take hold of it the way we can, Lord. We don't believe you enough to allow the gospel to do what you've already made it to do. It hasn't lost its power. The message, of course, hasn't lost its power, Lord. We've just changed it. We've made it something it's not. But I thank you, Lord. You're restoring it. You're restoring it here. You're restoring it in your people. And Lord, we're believing for your glory to be revealed in your people in a greater way, Lord. We're believing, God, that the gospel is going to go forth in power. Lord, accompanied with all the things that go with it. With signs, with wonders, with words that pierce and and 
cut people's hearts and open them up and reveal the glory of God and bring them to repentance and a true saving faith. God, we are believing you for that. And I pray you'll just continue to stir our hearts, Lord, and to work it in us first. God, we need your glory more and more revealed in us, Lord. And then, Lord, we can share it with others. So, God, I thank you for what you're doing. And we are believing you, like Paul prayed, to do above and beyond what we know to ask or think because you are so beyond us. And your heart is so much greater than our desires, Lord, to see people um, know you and saved and rescued, Lord. So, God, we know this is your heart. We know we're praying according to your will, Lord. So we thank you for what you're doing and for what you're going to do in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.